If you would turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. Titus, right after the Timothys. And it's a short one, so you might have to flip some pages to make sure you find it. Titus is this letter from Paul. Titus was a traveling partner of Paul's. Uh, we, we find that both in Galatians and in 2 Corinthians. Uh, and it seems as if, certainly, that, that Paul is writing to Titus uh, in order to, to get him to restore some of the order that's needed in Crete and amongst some Cretan house churches. So he is, he is reminding him of some, in some ways, some quick truths, right? I mentioned it's a, a pretty short letter, but some pretty impactful truths. In fact, this, this truth word uh, I chose in particular because in verse 2 of chapter 1, uh, it says, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, right, promised before the ages began. This is, this is key. In fact, even understanding what was taking place in Crete at the time, uh, where there was a lot of false gods uh, who were lied about, right? Even the term false gods, not true gods. And so this one, the true God, Paul's trying to remind him, hey, you're talking about the God that never lies, that there isn't false, that is truth. So Paul wanted Titus there as a part, though, of his overall mission strategy. Think about Crete in itself, this pretty relatively small island but had several ports in it. So the, Paul's thinking, okay, there's gonna be people that come in there and that stay for a little while and then go back to other places. So Paul is hoping that this would be a kind of an outpost for missionary strategy, for the gospel to go out and for churches to be planted from there. I even, I even think that it would be wise for us to think of ourselves as a church that way. We are this, this outpost, so to speak, that maybe even like Antioch, who is regularly about the work of sending people out. I want you to, to see this, though, about this text and why truth matters so much. It's because behavior stems from belief. Oftentimes, uh, in the church world, we, uh, especially as preachers and teachers, are real guilty of trying to get people to change their behavior. Stop doing this thing. Stop using these words. Stop going to this place. Start using these words. Start going to this place, right? All the do's and don'ts. But we, we too often in the church have jumped straight to the do's and don'ts and missed the why, right? And so we get frustrated when people do the do's and don'ts or don't do the don't, you got what I'm saying, right? They, they get so involved in the activity and then they, they go off into life and they don't do that in life or we, we raise them, we raise our kids just thinking about what to do and not to do and then when they go to college, they have nothing to do with us and with the church because we didn't ever teach that, like the why, the, the belief, what is, what is true. You might even remember what I said last week about uh, First and Second Timothy that it's the, the 
this holistic vision of the church that reminds the readers that what a church believes will shape how it lives. I said that about that book, but we could say it about Titus, and we certainly should be able to say it about us. That, that what we believe will shape what we do. And so when I think about that reality, I come to chapter 2, and if you have uh, subtitles in yours that not necessarily a part of the translation, mine, mine says teach sound doctrine in chapter 2. This is why this matters so much. Because what we believe about grace, what we believe about who Christ is, what we believe about salvation, what we believe about how people hear of salvation, all of those things are reflective, then should drive our actions differently. So what I want us to do today is, is think about a few verses here in chapter two that tell us this, that, that by grace, Jesus justifies, sanctifies, glorifies, and he sends us. I, I tried to think of another something phi, but it wasn't, wasn't quite there. We could say mobilize, multiplies, whatever the thing is, but it still didn't roll off the tongue quite as well. But So by grace, Jesus justifies, sanctifies, glorifies, and he sends us. So we're going to see all of that in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. So if you would follow along with me as I read. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So these, these few verses here where we'll spend our time today. And I want us to think of all of this in light of grace. Grace is shown in Jesus, right? Verse 11, grace here. In fact, this word grace can, is oftentimes uh, referenced as benevolence. So overwhelming love, an offer of love, the, the benevolence of God, the, the grace of God has appeared. How did it appear? That means it's visible. That means someone can see it, right? If you think about grace, that's an attribute. That makes it very difficult to see. We can't see attributes, except that we see grace of God has appeared in Jesus. Jesus himself is grace. So when Paul is saying to, to Titus, hey, remember, or even remind the people that the grace of God has already appeared, it's, it's because Jesus came. You're going to hear this a, a few different times today, probably, but you remember that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth because we needed grace. Grace, an a undeserved gift from God. That grace of salvation. So think about a, what grace might look like in a person. 
right? We, we certainly can say that this person is Jesus, but what would it look like to see grace in someone? I think about a person who is always thinking of others before themselves. That's a, that's a display of benevolence, display of grace. I think sometimes we misunderstand humility. We think that humility is thinking or even speaking of ourself as less than, right? Uh, maybe we, instead of boasting in our grades, we talk about how there's other people smarter than us. Or instead of boasting about how good we are at our job, we we celebrate how other people are. We're, we're, we're not, that, not that good at our job. We're not that smart. We're not that athletic. We, we talk about ourself, right, as less than, or we, we talk less about ourself in, in describing ourselves that way. But humility isn't thinking uh, less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Did you catch that? It's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less, less often. Like in, instead of it always being about you and how you're not quite as good as everybody else, you're still thinking about you. You're still telling everybody else about who you are and about how you are less than, but a, a person of humility, a person demonstrating grace and benevolence doesn't think about themselves. In fact, they think about everyone else. They find themselves celebrating God's good work in them. And so when I think about grace being shown in Jesus and then even in and through us as Jesus lives in us, I think about ones who are humble. So I'd even, even say, who demonstrated this best? But the one who humbled himself by leaving his throne coming to earth, not just to die, but to die on the cross. A, a punishment and penalty that would have been not only the most gruesome, but the, the most humiliating death in existence. Grace is shown in Jesus. He is the epitome of what grace is. Grace is shown in Jesus, and grace offers salvation for all people. Just moving right along in that verse, right? For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. I need you to, to remember this. In fact, let's do this. If you are a people, like a person, will you raise your hand? Okay, keep it up, keep it up. Just making sure you're awake a little bit there. Okay, you can put it back down. So all of you that raised your hand, and, and we even got one little bitty hand that raised right here. Great job. Uh, like salvation for all people, right? This is, why, this is why he came. He came that all people would know who he is. Grace was given for the grace of God has appeared in Jesus, bringing salvation, offering salvation for all people. This is the work of, so this, when I say Jesus justifies, this is my, me thinking about justification, right? So think about this on this uh, like continuum, right? So, so the work of someone actually having uh, their sin exchanged for the righteousness of Christ, right? Okay, so think, think with me that 
Uh, we are sinners, God is holy, right? So we're separated by God. Uh, well, we're separated by God because of our sin, by our sin, right? And as a result, there is no way for us to get to God except if we are righteous. We are, we are not able to, to go to God in our righteousness because we don't have righteousness on our own. And so what happens is Jesus came, lived on earth, lived a perfect life that we could not live, then died a death that we deserve to die, that, and then came back to life uh, three days later, demonstrating that he actually, what he did worked, right? Demonstrating his power and authority over death and gives us the opportunity then to place our faith and trust in him that we might have relationship with God the Father. So, so now there's this work of justification making us right with God the Father. Uh, the righteousness, like we're, it, Scripture described us being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and we are given His righteousness. It's, it's called, it's imputed upon us. It's given to us that we can be clothed in it, that we can have relationship. And so when it says here that salvation is for all people, you can know this. Listen carefully. If, if you're still wondering if that's for me, like I know I raised my hand and said that I'm a person, then you need to know that is for you, that you today, can have perfect, right relationship with Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, with God the Father, the creator and sustainer of the universe. The one that made you, the one that made the world and everything in it, the one who's got the whole world in his hands, even right now, that God has offering himself to you through Jesus. Saying you can have relationship with him. And as, as Greg was saying earlier, you you can then be called, be a part of that royal priesthood, chosen people. This could be you. This, and if you're, if you're sitting here thinking, man, Chad, I, I got that a long time ago. Like I've been there 30, 40, 50 years. Then I hope that you are hearing this today and relishing it at once again, cherishing the fact that the creator of the universe made a way for you to have relationship with him. Oh, cling to that church. Can you imagine Paul telling Titus this as though Titus didn't know? He's the missionary going to the churches. Certainly, he knows the gospel. He's got it. He understands justification, but he's telling it to Titus that he might hold fast to the truth, cling to this good work because the God who does not lie is promised that you will have relationship with him for all eternity. God offers salvation for all people by grace, Jesus justifies and grace sanctifies all people of God. Now, I want you to hear that, right? It's the, the work of sanctification, of being made right. While we are right, right, we are clothed in the righteousness of God in justification, the work of sanctification is the ongoing act of being made like Christ. So verse 12 actually uh, demonstrates this, right? So let's go back to verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people and training, verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So there is this work of justification that takes place in where we are made righteous before God. But... But 
we have an ongoing work that needs to take place, right? There's work in us that needs to, to happen where we, we know we continue to sin. And so Paul tells Titus, like, you, you're going to need to know this yourself, but you're going to need to be able to teach this to others that, that you have to continue to confess your sin. You have to continue to, to go against the things of the world. You have to continue to, to strive against that. And so he gives specific examples, right? Look again, he says, training us to renounce ungodliness. In this ongoing act of being made like Christ, we have to un renounce ungodliness. Well, what is that? First of all, it's godlessness. Ungodliness is godlessness. When you don't value God, when you don't see God as God, when, when you are, um, yeah, I think of the word uh, ignore. When you simply ignore who God is, that's the work of ungodliness. I think we could certainly categorize different areas of our life in which we have, we have uh, made other things a greater priority than we have our relationship with God. I've, I've heard this said many times before. Uh, maybe I've said it many times. I've just heard it a few times. But uh, I was once asked to write down. I was at a setting like this. So I was at like a church setting and uh, the preacher said, write down your, your top five priorities. Being in a church setting, I think everybody in the room put God as number one, right? Because even if it's not true, you're hoping that nobody looks over your shoulder nearby. And so you're going to write God as number one, right? God number one, maybe you put family, job, uh, school. I know that'll be real high priority for all you students, uh, right? Whatever it is, right? You, that's your top five. And then he asked everybody in the room, he said, okay, who, who wrote God as number one? And of course, everybody, even if they didn't write number one, uh, at this point, you're definitely raising your hand, right? Yeah, I put God as number one, absolutely I did that. And he says, okay, well, all of you got it wrong. I'm like, hey man, we're at church camp, you got it wrong. Uh, but he said, he said, no, it's not that God should be number one on your list, it's that God should be the list, the paper that your list is on. Because if you, if you place God as number one, then you can move him to number two and number three, and you can exchange that as often as you please. You can adjust and shift and, and make this the case. That, and, and there will be times then that you will say that God is not your priority. And what I'm saying is that everything else in your life should be adjusted to God being your list. So when I think of renouncing ungodliness, it's about the times that I've not only made God not just number one, but I've, I've placed him at number two or three. And, and what Paul says is here, renounce the godlessness in your life. And specifically, giving more details to that, he, he goes on to say, renounce worldly passions. What are worldly passions? They're things of this earth the things that our, our mind and our flesh desire, it's longings, cravings that we have, whether those, it's coveting, right? It's wishing that we had something that we don't have. 
not being satisfied with the goodness of God, not being content with, with what he has provided for us and saying, I, I want something else. You've, you've given me a healthy marriage. You've given me someone to love, but I want someone else. You, you've, you've given me a job that, that provides for my family, but I want more. I want I want the mansion. I want the extra car. I want the boat. I want the lake house. I want the whatever. It, that's, that's coveting. It's worldly passions. It's wanting. It's lusting after the things of this world, the people of this world, not being satisfied with the gifting that God has provided. So Paul says in the work of sanctification, in this process of being made more like Christ, renounce worldly passions. Turn away from the things of the world that everybody else is telling you you should want. Renounce ungodliness. Renounce worldly passions. Live self-controlled, it says in verse 12. Live self-controlled. This is the act of voluntarily placing limitation on your own freedom. Paul says that elsewhere, right? That hey, you are free to eat and drink and be merry, right? You're, you're free to do that. But place limitation on yourself. And yes, I'm, I'm free to eat all of the buffet. But gluttony is a sin, so maybe I shouldn't eat all of the buffet. Placing limitation. Yes, am I, am I free to go to certain places? Yes, but is that wise? Maybe not, so place a limitation. Am I free to, to drink alcohol? Yes, maybe, but that doesn't make it wise, so maybe we shouldn't do that. We, we place limitation on the freedom that we might have. Live self-controlled lives. Live upright, right? This is, this is the word he uses next in verse 12, live upright. I think of words like just and righteous lives. You demonstrate justice to those in your workplace and to those that you are uh, in school with. And then live godly, just plain and simple. Live godly. Be zealous for good works. wonder if that's something that would describe you. People would say, man, they... When I, when I see that person, they just love to do good. I can just see them there. They're excited to get to do good things for others. This is the work of sanctification. And grace, when we think about grace so much of the time, we think about this amazing grace that, that saved us, that took us from like, death to life, Right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was once blind, but now I see. This is amazing grace. But I need you to understand that it's, grace is not just the work of justification. Grace is the work that is ongoing sanctification. We don't deserve, right, the undeserved gift of justification. We also don't deserve to be sanctified. We don't deserve to, to have this, this work of renouncing ungodliness. We don't, we don't deserve for God to continually to care for us in this way. And the reason I know we don't deserve it is because even in the midst of our work of sanctification, we still find ourselves failing God, offending God, sinning against him. So we don't deserve even that work, but he is gracious to give us that. 
to, to sanctify us. So we, we have the work of justification and the work of sanctification. Then we see this, that grace supplies final redemption for God's children. Grace supplies final redemption for God's children. Look at verses 13 and 14. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a bride for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Right, by grace, Jesus justifies and sanctifies and glorifies. Remember, justification, being made right with God, that he clothes us in his righteousness. Sanctification, this ongoing work of being made right with Christ, that we look more and more and more like him as we renounce the things of this world, as we live upright and live in such a way that we enjoy zealous for good works, that we enjoy the good things of God, and that we look forward to, we wait eagerly for the day of glorification when we are made whole in Christ. When we get to, he gives us a new body even, we're ready for that, right? Where we are glorified with him in this, in this way, right? Glorification, this eager waiting as it describes it, the final act of being made whole in Christ, this final redemption looking. In fact, I'm, uh, I'm very, very excited. This past week I spent in a, uh, like a concentrated time of study uh, looking forward to a series coming about midway through September uh, called His Return on a study of the book of Revelation. And uh, I am both probably the most excited I've ever been about a, a series and equally as nervous about it. Uh, just all that comes with that and all that you might be expecting that you're not going to hear and be disappointed. And at the same time, all the things that you aren't expecting to hear that you don't know to be excited about yet. And... Uh, so, so I, will, I will save so much of what I wanna say for those 10 weeks, but there is so much to look forward to. All of the, the things that grace trains us for in this work of sanctification allows us to hope for Christ's return. If we are waiting with eagerness, then we will be striving for holiness. See how he says here, waiting for our blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. So, so we're waiting for him to return, verse 14, who gave himself uh, for us to redeem for us. So we're waiting for the one, the Savior of the world. We're, we're waiting for him to return to purify for himself a people. We're waiting with eagerness, longing for holiness. I think my fear is that sometimes we wait with eagerness. It's like, it's like we want to skip sanctification. We're not so keen on holiness. I confess to you that when I choose to sin, my 
my heart is not on holiness. I'm, I'm cherishing justification at that time. When I'm choosing to sin, I'm thinking, man, I'm so glad I'm justified because even if this, like I can, I can cling to that, right? In fact, I use justification as an excuse to justify sin. You ever do that? You tell yourself it's okay because you know we believe in this doctrine that, that God's gonna persevere us, bring us to the end, and if we're saved, we're gonna always be saved, right? So we, we hold on to that. So we, we hold on to this work of justification and we allow ourselves to justify our own sin. And let me make something very clear. That's not the intent. The intent of justification is not so that you would then say, oh, it's gonna be okay. God's gonna redeem me in the end. He's gonna, he's gonna hold me and yes, he will. But the intent is that because you're justified, you will want to be sanctified so that you might be glorified in his appearing. That when he comes back for you, you will be offering him the, the holy righteous gift of yourself. Now, again, not that you can become perfect on your own. Don't mishear me. Not that you can become perfect on your own, but that by his work of sanctification, that he would be making you more and more like him to be, like, as, as he writes, be holy as I am holy. So he tells Peter, be perfect as I am perfect. It's not because we can be. It's because we have to have him. This is, this is why grace is is so great. This is why it's so marvelous. I, again, I, I think that we too often only think of grace over here. And then the rest we deserve. Right? Like we didn't really deserve for him to save us, but we, once we're saved, we, yeah, he, he better be taking care of us over here. And he promised. So, you know, all of it is grace. Every, every part of salvation, being called the chosen people of God, grace. Being called a, called a royal priesthood, grace. Holy nation, grace. Being an adopted child of God, grace. Being justified, being made right with God, grace. Being sanctified, being made more and more like Christ, grace. The, the glory of him coming to us to receive us to himself, grace. All of that is undeserved. So by grace, Jesus justifies, sanctifies, and glorifies. But there is more work to be done in, uh, in our time now, which is why in verse 15, he says, declare these things. See, grace sends truth to all who need to hear. Grace is doing all of this work. Grace is also doing the work in us that compels us to proclaim him. It mobilizes us, right? So, so when I look at verse 15, I think of three specific responsibilities that we have. One, to declare the gospel to the lost. Declare these things. Make these things known. Make, make the grace of God, the salvation of God that's available for all people, make it known to all people. We want to think like Paul did, right? About Crete. 
Not that it's a place that just needs correction, but that it's a place that could be an outpost for missionary sending and church planting. Colonial Heights, that's who we want to be. We want to be a place that is on regular sending people out. You, you may disagree with this philosophy, but I want you to know, like, I'm okay if, if we have less people here in a year. Not because they just decided they didn't like us anymore, but because they're being sent out from here. I also hope that that replenishes and then we just keep getting to do it. Don't get me wrong. But like my hope is that we, that's what happens, that we send people out regularly from this place and that you would leave this place regardless if you keep coming back. We want you to keep coming back, but that every week you would go out and declare these things to your neighbor. That you would make these things known to your coworkers. You, sometimes we, we wrestle with whether or not we are growing or not or how that's going or what those issues might bring. And I want you to understand this. The church grows when the church shares Christ. This is how it works. It's not just when there's a preacher who will say the truth. It's when the people believe the truth and that belief changes their behavior. And if you believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ has death to life effects, you will make that known. It's, it's just a part of who we are. You can't help it. So declare these things to the lost and exhort good works to the saved. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Then you're teaching, show integrity, dignity, sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Don't talk one way and live another. That doesn't help anybody. In fact, stir one another up to love and good deeds, Hebrews tells us. You know, that's part of the reason we gather together, to hold each other accountable and to say to one another, look each other in the eye and to say, like, stand strong. When you raise your hand in life group and say you got a prayer request because work is, is hard right now because you're, you're being ridiculed for the way you're speaking of Christ, say, hey, stand firm. Come back next week. We'll tell you again, stand firm. We're gonna pray for you every day this week. Stand firm. Even if you get looked over for the, the job promotion, stand firm. And when you're students and you say, I'm getting made fun of because I'm not going to the party or I'm not watching the TV show or I'm not seeing the movie that everybody else is seeing and I'm getting made fun of for that, stand firm. So you, you say this in your life group and you're, you're, the other students in life group say, stand strong, brother. You can do it. It's okay. Make it, ex exhort good works to the saved and rebuke worldly passions to the church. Titus 2, showing all good faith. Verse 10, that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Grace sends truth to all who need to hear. I believe that that in this room, maybe even some of you at home, you need to hear the grace of God. And my prayer has been that you would have heard it today. That there is a, a gift offered to you that you did not deserve. And I promise you, I did not deserve it either. It's a gift of salvation that is offered to you. 
Would you today receive that gift? Trust in Jesus. Turn away from your sin and yourself and the worldly passions. Turn away from those things and that have failed you over and over, that have never fulfilled you, never given you all that you need. And find that fulfillment in Jesus alone. The appearing of grace. For those of you who know him, would today be a reminder for you that it is your task to be sanctified in Christ and to make Christ known to all those who need to hear these truths. Would you stand with me as we respond?